You know, that's an important song for us to be singing at this time of year. When we invite Emmanuel, what we're really inviting is God's presence. The word Emmanuel means God with us, which, by the way, is what we get to celebrate on Christmas Eve. Tonight, we're going to keep the kids in with us, so I, I want you to listen real close because there's going to be a quiz on your way home or maybe when your head hits the pillow tonight so that you can figure out what it is that Pastor Dave was talking about because it's super important for us to realize that Christmas is more than just our ability to receive presents, take a picture on Santa's lap, uh, and make out a Christmas list or cookies, or so, something like this. So this series I've been going through uh, is called Name Drops Keep Falling on My Head. And the reason I called it that is because there are certain names associated with Christmas that become very familiar to us. And what happens is when things get really familiar, it has a way of dulling our senses, like, oh yeah, that name. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily be something that we experience. It's not something that we necessarily have an encounter with. And so I want to bring up the names of God that were prophetically spoken so that we can experience a different kind of Christmas season. Because the prophets, long before Jesus ever arrived, were, were, were speaking of what this would look like. So let me just share with you my name-dropping story to begin our time. Um, many of you uh, who, uh, during South by Southwest, avoid downtown like it's the plague, because you know that anywhere downtown is going to be just terribly congested. There's like a thousand bands that descend on it, and um, every venue is booked. And so if you have any kind of commute or restaurant, you typically avoid it. And then if you're like a lot of Austinites, you, you literally head for the mountains because it's spring break, and so you just avoid it. This has been true of our family, except that I've done a couple of deep dives into South by Southwest, which is an amazing experience, but it's overwhelming. I mean, when you have that many acts coming into Austin, and for one week, um, it's sort of like, where do you begin with this whole smorgasbord of, of acts and talents? Well, one of the things that I've discovered that I've enjoyed is KGSR does a morning broadcast. Now, I recognize that a morning broadcast, it's 6 to 10 a.m. Uh, it's an early morning. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times I play the old man card and I was like, why do we have to listen to live music after 11 p.m.? This is not that. This is like a hardcore listening audience. There's no bar to distract or people to be chatty. People are still waking up, but they're tuned in. And they bring in a sort of sampler platter of all of these emerging artists that have had a big year, that have released an album, that have been invited to South By, and you get to have two songs, rotate over it, another two songs, another two songs. There's breakfast tacos, there's coffee. It's a great morning. Well. I remember one year, and it's in a downtown, you know, lobby area, and it felt like a giant living room, and so you'd have two songs play, and then the DJ would do a little banter, introduce the next act, go to a commercial break, set up the next act, and go, and it was awesome. As I was listening, and I got there, you know, like 5.30, because I didn't want to actually stand during the morning show, so we're sitting there watching act after act come through, and there's like eight acts that play during that morning set. And then all of a sudden, 
all of this emerging talent, you know, it's all, you have, you have people just rooting for this up and coming talent and you're trying to discover music, but then the whole audience changed. The whole feel of the room changed because all of a sudden an A-lister descended on the morning broadcast. He wasn't a part of the actual, like, he just came to hear music. In fact, one of his favorite acts was performing next except everything changed about the room. It went from being sort of a, a cheering for or rooting of or an appreciation of this up and coming talent to now all of a sudden everyone's just like, look who just walked in the room. And there's these sort of sly grins and, the, and all the sidebar conversation somehow got unified and camera phones came out because no longer were we experiencing music. That became the backdrop to this Hollywood A-lister that just walked in the room unannounced, but it changed everything about the venue. Who was it? Matthew McConaughey. But this is before he called Austin his primary residence. And so, you know, when you kind of live in Austin, you know that there's these A-listers that exist. And every now and then you have a brush with them. Uh, and so when he came and he sat down, it just changed the whole complexion of it. I mean, this was like Hollywood royalty had now just sat in our presence. And my friend who I was with is a devout music fan. He viewed this as sort of a distraction to what was unfolding. And he leans over and he goes, what is that about? Because it was palpable. You can tell everything changed because Matthew walked in the room and he was more interested in the music than the actor. And I said, and this was sort of like just riffing off the top of my head. I said, there is this idea that this neighbor of Austin um, is around, but rare is the day that you encounter him. There's this idea that somewhere around that he exists and he might even live here and spend time with here, but our paths rarely, rarely cross. And now stardom has come into our direct proximity and everyone got distracted and you couldn't even focus. My point in saying that is that God's presence is all around us. And every now and then, we have an encounter with it and we go, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. And we're struck with some sense of awe and wonder. But the reality is, is that God is active and God is present all of the time, unstoppable. And so I like to think that there's a way for us to tap into the reality of God's presence more and in increasing ways. And it just takes sort of an interruption for us to do that. Now, I think when we look at Christmas, we all have a very sentimental idea about what Christmas should feel like, what Christmas uh, should, should be like. Um, but maybe the worst thing that could happen at Christmas is that we go through the whole season and miss his presence. And if we come through Christmas, and maybe if we went around the room and turned this into one big living room and we all started sharing, it just didn't feel like Christmas because we would all have a very significant maybe tradition or um, there was a, a relationship and they couldn't make it back and so they weren't a part of the Christmas experience or maybe we're grieving the loss of someone that was here last Christmas or something like this. But what I would say is the biggest loss of Christmas is to not experience God's presence. 
And so when the prophets spoke about God's presence uh, was all around us, there was this idea that there was these names of God so that we would know what the presence of God would feel like. And so he talked about it in these terms as, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before we get into these names, and specifically Everlasting Father, I want to talk about these kinds of interruptions. A couple of weeks ago, a bunch of you joined me, and we went down, and we had a really amazing brunch and breakfast, or blessing time, for a, a, a young mom named Shanti. Shanti came to us in 2017. She sat for a year in Jess's ESL class. But the story about Shanti is a remarkable one, and every now and then we get interrupted and we realize God is a part of all of these things. I came to this apartment, I've been to it before, but I hadn't been to this one. You walk up three flights of stairs and every stair is not up to code. You're tripping most of the way up because you don't realize you have learned a gate for stepping upstairs, uh, but this isn't up to code. OSHA should shut this place down. And then all of the wooden handrails are loose or blown out. And I'm thinking, this is nothing but a safety hazard, and we're going to a home where there's four children, and they're 30 feet up. This is unacceptable. I would never let my family live here. And it's a dive. There's nothing nice about where she lives. But then she starts sharing her story. And her story was a remarkable story. It had a way of interrupting what I thought was hell on earth. See, because her hell on earth sounded like this. She left Myanmar with her husband and her son of about three or four years old. And because of their civil war, they fled 21 days and they walked to Thailand, excuse me, through Thailand to Malaysia where it's illegal to be a refugee. She lived in a refugee camp a 10 by 10 room, 10 by 10 room, not a studio. Think shantytown, think cinder block. And she lived in this room for 10 years. They had two more kids, Christina and Melody. And then her husband's like, this is too much, I'm leaving. And he leaves her. So she's in this country illegally. She's got three kids, two of them don't have citizenship because they don't recognize refugees. Um, she has no source of income. And then she hits the lottery. The UN comes to talk to her and they say, we're gonna relocate you. Where would you like to go? Austin, Texas. Why? Because her faith community was here. So when we come alongside Burmese and we help start this little Burmese house church, those are her people. So in 2017, she immigrates as a single parent. And she arrives in Austin, Texas, and finds her way into an ESL class and in Christian community. The whole time, the only thing she's had to go on for those 10 years of having kids and being left divorced in a foreign country and now relocating to a new country that costs a fortune, she's got her faith. And now she's got a few friends, and now God starts to provide. So she's learned serviceable broken English. She's gotten a job, probably nine bucks an hour. But then in 2018, she meets a man in a parking lot um, in her apartment complex because her car was broken down, and he fixes her car. 
And then they start dating. And then they get married. And then they have little baby David. This is a beautiful story. So we show up to do a baby shower, a little time of blessing to share a meal together. And she's actually trying to talk about and tell her story with emotion, but it's not regret. It's not necessarily pain. It's a lot of gratitude. Now, remember my steps going up and my encounter with, oh no, people shouldn't have to live like this. The only reason they get away with it is because there's Americans not living here. Except to her, God is proving faithful. God is revealing God as a provider, as a protector, as a caring father. Even though it took a long time, this is what it means to have an experience with the presence of a living God. And so when we talk about going through Advent, what we're talking about is not a celebration. What we're talking about, and this is what John the Baptist said, prepare the way, make room in your heart for the coming king. And he describes in Isaiah the idea that this king, you will know what the presence of God is like because it'll feel like a wonderful counselor. It'll feel like a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. So when we experience God in those ways, what we're experiencing is the reality of God's spirit in our world today. And so Advent then was to commemorate sort of God's coming in four different ways. First, as a child, in all of his vulnerable state, he enters into our world. But then secondly, we're celebrating that he's going to be coming again. There will be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning, but it's for the restoration of all things. That God restores the world to the world that God actually intended. But then there's this sense that the, the third time is when he returns, to, uh, excuse me, uh, when he like, when he's, comes again out of the grave and, and he forgives and dies for all of our sins. So Advent is the celebration of these really powerful moments, but then it's also this celebration, and we can't miss this. It's the coming into our own hearts. Has there been a very personal invitation, not generically that I know of God, but I know the living Christ because I've welcomed him into my heart? This is what Christmas is all about. So when we're saying we're getting ready for Christmas, it's not that we're booking travel plans and getting our Christmas shopping done and making party um, arrangements. What we're doing is, is we're preparing our own hearts for the coming King again and again and again. And so the question that I'm left wrestling with is how have you experienced God in these ways? Because this is how we're supposed to experience the Christmas season. There was 400 years of prophetic silence before and leading up to the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. You know what was needed then? is a wonderful counselor. Someone to interrupt the silence. I don't know if you've ever gone through counseling, if you've ever found counsel in, in maybe an amateur or a professional, but there's something about getting guidance. There's something about finding comfort in the voice and the counsel and the wisdom of someone further along that is part of God's healing instrument into our lives. It comes in the form of great friendship. It comes in the form of a really meaningful small group experience. It comes in the form of having a pastor 
oral relationship. It comes in the form of having mentors. But a wonderful counselor is part of how God comes into our lives. Have you experienced God as a wonderful counselor? Make room, make room, prepare the way. This is why we are supposed to seek after. And then as we read last week, Joseph, when we light the second candle, is sort of the Bethlehem candle because it represents the faith of Joseph and Mary taking this journey. Joseph is willing to take her as his wife that he did not actually get pregnant. He trusts God with his whole life, including his reputation as a high character man. And he says, I will take her as my own regardless of what people say, and I will follow you. So the faith of Joseph is seen in his obedience because his faith isn't just chivalry at this point, isn't just charity at this point. It's the reality that he understands and knows God as a mighty God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. And what we find tonight as we light this third candle is as an everlasting father. Now, this is where it gets kind of personal and touchy. We have earthly fathers that might be a really beautiful representation of what a heavenly father can be like. Or for other people, when I talk about your heavenly father, you're getting tripped up on what your earthly father was like and how it maybe affected your view of God. Either way, we need to understand the kind of fatherly love that comes from heaven above. And so we see this kind of not volatile, constant presence. We, we see in this heavenly father someone who is present. I can't help but think of my own experience with my dad. My dad grew up in a broken home. He was born in 1936 and by 1940 his abusive father who was battling alcoholism and mental illness had left. Dad got shipped off, and four years later, he got reintroduced. He's eight years old and says, Ronnie, meet your new daddy. And so this was his upbringing. But at that time, he was a latchkey kid before there was ever the phrase latchkey kid. Both parents are working. This is 1940s. The church didn't know what to do with divorce, and so they quit going to church. And he never really understood the relationship you can have with a father. In fact, I asked him years later, I said, Dad, your real dad, your biological dad, how much when you came back from the farm in Central Valley, did you actually see? He says, I don't really remember, maybe up to five times. I know he didn't come to my high school graduation, and I know I didn't go to his funeral. But he died, I think, when I was in the Army at about 19 years old. When my dad would come home from school, he'd ride his bike home and the sink would be just overflowing with dishes and both mom and dad were working and he would grab his baseball mitt and go down to the field till dark and hopefully by the time he got home, someone would be there. This was not a picture of the heavenly father, everlasting love, providing care and comfort, emotional stability, and providing some kind of nurturing relationship. This was a kid largely left to raise himself, except that when he became a dad, I always, always, always felt like our family was a priority to him. That even though he was building a dental practice, he wanted to know whenever my ball games were so that he could cut off patients by a certain time to be able to at least get to a few innings or the second half of a game. He was gonna be there. 
So when you talk about wonderful counselor and you talk about being a mighty God or an everlasting father, to me, I've seen glimpses of what that's supposed to be like and we've all seen glimpses in a brokenhearted way of what it's not like. But the idea is now we can begin to sniff out and see God's care, God's presence in our own lives. And so when this happens, the familiarity of that name, Everlasting Father or, or Ever-Present Father, becomes and it changes our lives. And so my hope is as you go through this Christmas season, you're becoming more mindful of God's provision as our Heavenly Father, of God's protection over your life, over God's care over your life like a good father would. That's what God is doing for us. And in my case, there was this great nurturing presence. So I want to pray with you as we kind of wrap up tonight. And I just want you to consider these words. Let's just bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And I want you to think about it in these terms. How might you be missing or not experiencing the presence of God? When Isaiah spoke of what it would be like when the Christ came into the world, when the Messiah finally arrived, he spoke of it as a wonderful counselor. Do you know, are you experiencing God as a source of comfort, maybe even a source of healing? Or is that a need? Is there a sense that God is guiding you? Maybe... Maybe doubt and fear is, is plaguing you and you need to experience God as a mighty God. Again, my hope is that you would just begin to identify maybe the lack of presence or the lack of personal experience with a living God whose presence is already around us. It's the game changer. Have you experienced God as an ever-present Father, not volatile, not mad, not absent, not detached, but invested and in advocating and supporting your good, your, your well-being, who provides and cares. My sense is that God has been all of those things, but we get tripped up and we get short-sighted. But I would just say, in these moments, invite God to reveal God's self. Invite God to be that which you fail to experience. And name it. God, I need you to be a mighty God. Help me overcome the fear or the doubts, the lack of trust. God, I want to receive you as a good counselor. Be a light unto my path. Be truth in the midst of deceit and accusation. Be hope in darkness. Be comfort in pain. Maybe say, God, I want to receive your care. I want to see your, receive your provision. Give me eyes to see 
your presence as an all-present Father. Just take a moment to pray that and ask God, but don't leave without that because Christmas is supposed to be us experiencing God with us. Emmanuel.